y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Over in Evansville, Indiana, there's a little museum full of rare, famous, and just plain fascinating automobiles that probably, for any of us, would be, well, a dream to own. As a guy who's just thankful for every morning that his humble little car starts up at all, it's nice to be able to browse and admire these vehicular works of art without having to shell out the sometimes six-figure price tags. Jason Moore marketing manager of the appropriately named Dream Car Museum, shows us around the showroom and gives us a few stories behind some of their acquisitions. All right, so the museum has been around for about three years now. It actually started as a dream, which is where the Dream Car Museum came up, of our owner. Uh, he's an automotive guy that's been in the business now for, I think it's 53 years, and he loves cars. And so this was a place for him to showcase a few of his favorites. Well, a few of his favorites turned into quite a few of his favorites. As you can see here in the museum, we have about 60 cars, but there's another uh, 30 or 40 so that are in uh, storage. So what we're able to do is actually swap those cars out and uh, keep them fresh. So every time you come to the museum every you know couple months or so you're going to see a fresh bunch of vehicles which is kind of fun you have a lot of beautiful cars a lot of you know corvettes and and uh, there was the one that's made partially out of wood and yeah the and, woody yeah yeah but there's one that you left in there that apparently was found in a barn or something oh, okay so the barn find yeah yeah so talk about that one all right so most of the cars here actually i'm going to say all the cars here, but like that car, are in perfect museum quality. Yeah, they're I mean, polished, dusted <laughs> on a daily basis. They're treated better than, you know, we treat ourselves probably. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of you know value to these cars because of the quality of what they are. I mean, these pristine paint jobs, the restorations, the, you know, they only 800 original miles kind of things. But then there's this barn find. And it's funny because it stands out like a gigantic sore thumb. Um, <laughs> it's covered in dirt. Uh, the flat tire. You there, know, may be, there may be some chicken crap on there too. I think. Oh, I almost guarantee you. That. Well, actually, so this vehicle was found uh, just by a, I guess, a com- it was like, a, hey, I know this guy, and you ought to go talk to that guy. And these gentlemen pulled open these barn doors that were nailed shut, and inside is this, this is Corvette. It had a dead possum in like the back seat. There was, you know, wasp nests and mice had come in and like built nests inside the dash. I mean, it was a disaster. And so they get it out, and it's like this this amazing, this crazy story. Because if you think about it, I mean, this car is, you know, going on 50 years old. And some, well, actually more than that, I guess closer to 60-something years old. Somebody said, well, I'll just put it in the barn for, you know, maybe the, the, the winter. You know, because I'm not going to get it out. And then, what did that, did that person die? Did they, you know, did they get sick? Did, did, did something happen? Did they go to war? I mean, you know, who knows what happened? And then that car just gets left there. Because maybe only one or two people knew about it. And then when it gets uncovered, it's like, what do you do with it? Well, if you restored it back to its original quality, it's just like a 100, 200, 300 other Corvettes. Just like it. Leave it like it is. It's a one of a kind. Right. And that's what makes the barn find so special. And they... So you guys have left it raw. Like you haven't done anything. Oh, it's it's. We got the carcass of the possum out, but that well, was about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great contrast, though. I mean, it is, and, and it makes the vehicles around it look that much more, you know, amazing. But it it certainly catches the eye. We actually have it at the entrance of our first building, 
and it's hard to miss. You know, you walk in and it's hard to miss a vehicle that is covered in dirt when everything else is is mm-hmm. so pristine. And the story behind it, you know, the guys found it. The original finder of the vehicle offered what he joked about later on too much money for it mm-hmm. uh, because the the gentleman that had it didn't see the value in it. And so he goes, wow. He goes, would you take uh, this much money for it? And he goes, yeah, but I would have taken less. <laughs> like, And so that there's a joke there that went with it. It was like, ah, oh, I should offer less. But at the same time, the gentleman that found it knew what it was worth. And then to find it here at the museum, you know, is, is a gift to us. So the 1934 Woody is a very unique vehicle in the fact that it's a one of a kind. Those vehicles are hand built by different artists. I call them artists because not everybody can do what they do. That vehicle was hand built in Tampa, Florida. So we decided to one day do a a spring break adventure. We were going to go to Florida and we were inspired by that vehicle. It looks like the cars that like the Beach Boys or the, the surf bums used to use to put their boards on. Well, that vehicle has a surfboard on top of it, actually. And right. they, but you're exactly right. Those those Jeep Willys and the Woodies and the it just has that that appeal, you know. And so we, we had south, hit up a couple destinations on the way down, and then just had this kind of weird, crazy thought, like what if? And looked up the gentleman that had built it, and I was like, ah, there's no way. But it, but I called, and the, he answered. So the guy that hand-built the Woody that's in our museum, this six-figure-plus you know, priced vehicle, answers the phone himself. His name's Cecil Taylor. And Cecil answers the phone and says, yeah, what can I do for you? And I said, my name is, and I have. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know the car. I was like, wow, okay. He just jumps right into the history of the vehicle. He goes, oh, I built that vehicle, I remember. And, and so, so you had bought it from somebody else? Mm-hmm. Oh. The gentleman that built it, and they're all custom. Okay. So let's just say, for example, you decide you want one of these. You give the inspiration. It might be a color scheme, a picture, just a story in your head. I mean, or just you know, a harebrained idea, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then he basically takes this canvas out, which is wood and metal, and, and creates it. Mm-hmm. And so we have a custom work of his here at the museum. And then so we call him, and, and he, he goes, oh, yeah, I know the vehicle very well. I'm original owners from Louisville, so just up the road from you guys. He knew about our museum, mm-hmm. which made me realize how small the world we live in really. I mean, it's big, and there is a ton of stuff to do. But we are connected as a people, especially this automotive world that we kind of, we talked about, you know, what makes it so special. So well, they talk- jokingly say, they compare niche groups, they always call them the Etzel Club of the comic book world, or the Etzel Club of the, the quilting world, because the Etzel was a car, yeah. that there very few were made, but they have some very passionate people that still kind of believe in them. Very passionate people. You'd be surprised at the, the fanboys over different types of vehicles that are out there, but I mean, there are fan bases for vehicles that they have a passion for for a reason, you know? Mm-hmm. So Cecil, you know, says, yeah, I know the car very well, and I, I think to myself, I'm like, how, how neat is that, that like he does remember and has all these details about it. Well, it's because he spent a lot of time with it. I mean, these are his children. These works of art are, are not just a car off an of assembly line. Every piece was made. Mm-hmm. Hand, hand built. I said, I, I, I know this is going to be a stretch. I said, but is there any way I could come see you? I'd love to shake your hand. He goes, yeah, when, when can you be here? I'm like, oh, I mean, not, not right now. Cause I'm like, you know, six and seven hours away at this point. And I said, it, it was later in the afternoon that day. I said, but I said, is tomorrow a possibility. He goes, yeah, yeah, when can you be here? Basically, he's saying, the door's open. Uh-huh. You know, how soon can I? I was like, I will be there at, you know, 11 a.m. And so we got up early, drove the rest of the way, greeted us with open arms, and just dove into the history of his business. 
And I, I highlight this man because he stood out so much to me as a unique character, like we talk about in this this you know story of, of the automotive world. Because you know he got his start at the ground level manufacturing radiators because he was a metal worker and saw an opportunity, and then found a love for something that he was good at, and so he just went out and did it. And then he did another one, and then did another one. And actually, the crazy part of this is, is he still has his first build, and it's unfinished. And he's got it up on a, on a rack, essentially. Like, they've taken it, lifted it up there, put it up there. And it's on display. And he goes, that's the first one I've ever did. And I said, why is it not done? He goes, because it's going to be the last one I ever do, too. And he goes, I'll never sell it. And he goes, that one's going to be for me. He goes, but when I decide to be done, I'll finish that one. And then I'll have the first and last of my collection, you know. Wow. Which I thought was really kind of a... A neat thing because he's dictated how he's going to live his life, right. you know, and he's in control of it. And I think so few of us take the time to be in control. Right. We let the world kind of yeah, we go with the flow. Yeah, and and he's and he's somebody that has stood out and said, mm, "I'm going to do it my way." And so he's built a lifestyle, he's built a business, and he's built a network, which is what's most amazing because all these children, if you will, that he's built. You know, we us having one of. 120 plus has been 120 plus people that he's connected to and has relationships with. And, and he was telling us about how I was like, I said, you're pretty well traveled. He goes, yeah. I mean, he goes, we spent a lot of time here. And when I travel, he goes, I always feel like I'm at home because all these people have become a part of my family. And he goes, I never pay for a hotel room. And I thought that was a big deal because I hope that it's someday I'm liked enough that I can travel anywhere in the, mm-hmm. in the country. And have a, a, a bed and, you know, a place to lay my you head You have down. a bed in Madisonville. Okay, well, well thank you for that. Okay, so the, put me in your network. So it's two places now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I'm already finding in the very short period of time that I've been in this world, because, like I said, uh, I, I came from a background that wasn't automotive. I've always had kind of an affinity for it, just because, I mean, you know, from a 16-year-old getting behind the wheel the first time, my first car wasn't anything special. It was a 1989 Chevy Beretta. And actually referencing collectible cars and clubs, you can't even find those anymore, you know? But, I mean, it's funny because that is a classic car now. It's 25 years old plus. Is that car, my first car, going to be worth something, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Who knows? Well, if you destroy all the other ones that exist, yes. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> That's one way of making the value go up. But, I, I mean, I remember driving that car and being excited about it. And it had a little sunroof. It was red, candy apple red, two-door. It was a V6. It was very sporty. It was fun. Driving way too fast. You remember being 16 and not fearing anything oh yeah and now that i'm a parent i'm getting older it's like oh my gosh i better slow down you know (laughs) what do you think to have is everybody buckled up and it's like the things i did as a 16 year old when we feel like we're invincible oh so you notice the bubble okay so that bubble is there because actually the driver was too tall and so they have to make a special place for his head. It's called the Gurney Bubble. And so the driver, his name was Gurney. This car is a beast. It's, it's fast. And won the first year they put it in the race in 66. And then they won the next year and the year after that and the year after that. Won four years in a row in this car. I know you got some just wonderful cars in there, but... You know, the kid in me still wants to ask about Herbie, 
The Love Bug and The General Lee because both of those, the movies and the, the TV show, of course, I watched as a child. Is there any significant story behind those? Or those are actually original? They both are original in a way. Um, the Herbie the Love Bug is completely restored original car, but it wasn't in one of the movies. The thing about Herbie the Love Bug is he has been in a TV series, multiple movies. Uh, he's been one of those iconic cars now mm-hmm. for 50 years or so. So there's probably a lot of Herbies. Yeah, because with that love of Herbies, People recreated Herbie. Honestly, I don't know, and I can do some research on it, but I don't know where the originals would be because there's multiple movies. That means there's multiple cars from each movie. Right. And then the TV series. I mean, most movies, when they do that, they have, you know, six to eight cars that are the exact same car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hard to tell where all those would be. I'm sure there are some originals that we could find in museums, but ours is a replica, but it is a complete resto replica. So it's, a, it's an original car that was restored to this glory. Now, the General Lee has actually been featured and driven by the boys in a commercial, um, and I believe it was featured in a movie as one of those backup cars, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't in the TV show. Now, though, you got to think again, those guys went through several seasons, mm-hmm. which means they went through several cars, so those originals are a little harder to find. I mean, our General Lee is a six-figure-plus value car. It doesn't have the notoriety of being in a season's worth of episodes. Those kind of cars get into the, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands, not even potentially millions. Because they are so rare and hard to find. There's a General Lee in town that some guy just did himself. You know, oh, so just, once again, okay. you have the popularity of a vehicle like that. People want to recreate it, reproduce it. Right. So ours is original. Uh, it, does, it has been driven by the, the Duke boys, but it wasn't for the TV show. Now, the actual Duke boys and not their cousins? That, no, no, this is the actual in. boys. I mean, okay. and, and so we have video of that and we okay. have proof and, and the paperwork to document that. This is the only car in the world that is this car because this car is the exact car, not a replica. It is the car from the movie Fast and the Furious. So Vin Diesel rode in this car. Of course, there's a mannequin of Vin Diesel in there right now, but he actually rode in this car and this car literally wrecked in the movie. What they did is they ramped it and it looks like it gets hit by, you know, an oncoming truck, but actually it got ramped flipped up on this side these are real scuffs and what we did was we lacquered over them and it still runs it just doesn't drive very well we found this car and it was actually hidden in a back alley kind of place you know just nobody knew anything that it was even there it was after the movie a lot of times when they're done with them they just kind of say who cares but there's certain people that find you know these cars and then we were able to acquire it and bring it to the museum this movie fast and the furious launched a franchise that's now eight movies deep and billions of dollars have been made off this movie franchise and you can say it all started around this car Universal's actually wanted to purchase that vehicle from us because it is that vehicle and it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Oh, wow. So we have a one of a kind. Uh-huh. The one that they wrecked and used from the shot that is in the movie uh-huh. is ours. And so when Universal Studios called you and said, I'd like to buy it back, and you say no, that means you've got something pretty valuable. That's okay. kind of neat. There is a couple motorcycles in the museum that are uh, from movies. There's a Ghost Rider motorcycle from mm-hmm. the first Ghost Rider movie with Nicolas Cage. Not the actual Ghost Rider bike, but the Johnny Blaze, which was his character, He's a stuntman, and so we actually have the motorcycle that was the stunt bike. We mentioned Vin Diesel. Triple X was a action-packed movie, and there's a motorcycle from that movie that Vin Diesel rode. Uh, and then we also have a motorcycle from Steve McQueen, and so Steve McQueen's a, you know, you want to talk about a really big deal action movie star. You don't have the car from Bullet? No, we don't have the car from Bullet, but, you know, if you challenge the owner to go out and find it, he'd probably, he'd probably put in the effort to do it. Well, I just come down from across the slough. I'm a true loving daddy and I just won't do. I'm a high-gear daddy, I don't care what I do. 
Well, come on, mama, let's strut out stuff. I'm a true loving daddy and I never had enough. I'm a high gear daddy. I don't care what I do. All right, so if we were to pick out one vehicle that is kind of near and dear to my heart that has a really neat story, there's a, a Pontiac. It's a 1956. It's very, very pretty. It's um, blue. It's a uh, two-tone. And it was the first vehicle that I had some influence in uh, the purchase of because it caught my eye. When you come into a building that has all kinds of eye candy and a vehicle stands out, I mean, it's like you walk into the party or the bar or the... The, the event, that girl stands out. Right. This was that girl. This car <laughs> was that girl that just like, where it almost looks like she's got like a sunburst around her and the uh-huh. mu- and the time stops and music starts. Uh-huh. That was this car for me. And then I've always been a fan of Pontiacs. My first couple, uh, my first car was a, was a, a Chevy, but then the, my first car that I purchased with my money was a Pontiac. So this Pontiac stood out and like, I just, I, I was goo goo over it. I loved it. I really did. And it's weird to say that, that you could love a car, but I mean, it's, it's something, and I just met it, you know, mm-hmm. love at first sight with this car. Walked around and looked at it. He said, he goes, well, you really like that car, don't you? He goes, I can tell. He goes, you got an eye for it. I said, yeah. I said, I don't know. It, 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 I just feel like it would look good in a museum. He goes, yeah, it probably would. And walked away. Like, he wasn't sold. The owners of the vehicle came over, and they said, uh, you like it, huh? And I was like, yeah, they're like, still drives great. You know, just drove it 700 miles to get here. I was like, really? Wow, okay. It's an everyday driver, and, and finding cars like that are a little tough. I said, it's not original, though, right? I said, there's no way, you know. They said, well, no, no, it's, but it's been completely restored to its original state. Look. And they pop the trunk open, and, like, in this trunk is at least 40 or 50 awards, two or three photo albums, a sweatshirt from where it was entered, and it was the feature car in a, in a car show. And so it was, like, it was the car on the shirt, and these two plates – I'll get back to the plates in a second, but they, they, get, they grab this book and they flip through and they say, see here? And they flip it over and it says 1956 on the back. And it says, first day home. And it, this owner of this vehicle had taken a picture of its first day home, kind of like bringing their kid home for the first day. Wow. And, and the car, it looked exactly the same with the exception of the tires. That was the only thing that looked different on the restoration. I said, wow. They said, yeah, meticulously done to its original state. To the extent of, and they said, look back here, and in the back seat, they had had the fabric to where they purchased it from, like, the factory that made it originally, and they redid the upholstery and the carpet, and they had extra in case anything ever needed to be done. And I I thought that was really neat, because you could look at a picture, and it was like, this car's brand new. And it's like, no, it's been restored, but look at it. It looks just like it did in 1956. Yeah, but it's this old. There's no way. But then I started going through these awards. And this vehicle had won all these awards, you know. And what was neat about it was a vehicle in its original state had gone to car shows and had caught the eye, you know, just like it caught my eye, of these judges. And it wasn't a bunch of fifth or sixth places or, you know, participation, you know, you know, <laughs> you know ribbons. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it, it was a bunch of first place trophies. And obviously, I like good stuff is what I told myself, you know, and it was like, yeah, yeah, you must have a good eye. I mean, look, it's an award winning vehicle. So I go back over, you know, to my boss and I'm like, I said, see, and he goes, fine. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we'll see what it goes for. And it goes for a price that made sense. And so it's here in the museum now and it's featured uh, with its trophies. Uh, it's got its, it's got its cool sweatshirt sitting there with a, the original books and that picture I'm referring to is, is displayed. But the, the, the plates I was talking to you about, 
And so I'm a marketing and advertising guy at heart. Like, I mean, that's, that's my bread and butter. Like, I know how to get the word out about things. In 1956, Pontiac saw fit to produce plates <laughs> to, to sell their car. I just thought that was so ironic. And, but then I, I brought it into the future, and I said, well, that's not really that ironic. Think about it. You give somebody a plate, they use it every day, you know, or every couple of days, once a week, whatever. This is like a dinner plate. Yeah, a dinner plate. Oh, like okay. I think it's a license of. plate. Probably. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, so this is a dinner plate. Okay. Which is like, and so, I thought, I was like, so, why, you know. So every time you clean your plate, you see this car. You see this car. Okay. It's kind of brilliant. Yeah. I mean, so you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's not an everyday kind of occurrence. Right. That's not a run of the mill. That's not a, oh, well, I could see that everywhere else. That's mm-hmm. something that is unique and, and we have to offer here at the Dream Car Museum. And and what's cool is the people that sold it to us, the gentleman let it go for less than he wanted to, but he was like, it's time. He'd had it for a while. He had enjoyed it, and he was ready to pass it on. It was him and his son that were there, and I got to send them pictures of the display in the museum, and they were both, it's so good to see that. That car deserves that. Mm-hmm. It's got its trophies in front, and they were really excited. And then, once again, talking about that web and that network of people, they said, when are you going to come visit? And I was like, that is what this is all about. Come away with me, Lucille, in my merry Oldsmobile. Down the road of life we'll fly, automobiling you and I to the church. What do you think it is? What is the draw? Because even I, like, I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at the engine half the time. But there is some kind of draw. Yeah, to say I'm a car guy, like in the world of car guys, wouldn't be fair right. by by any means. Now, am I a car guy as in I love automobiles and, and looking at them and driving them? Absolutely. But the funny thing about it, and you kind of brought this up, working on cars, I've changed an oil in a, in a truck once and I've changed a tire once. That is the extent of my <laughs> automotive expertise on the how, how they work. Uh-huh. But I'll tell you, the experience of driving, the adventure that comes with you know getting out on a road and seeing new things and experiencing the world we live in and driving a little too fast maybe or it's, it's just something that's thrilling because the the engine the, the tires you know everything about the road is appealing to most people for me though if you want to talk about my love uh, the tide of cars for me is more about getting out and adventuring I mean uh, a, a car is a means to an end in the sense like you know, a lot of people go on vacation and they drive, and the drive to them is like, oh, it's 12 hours to get to Florida. To me, it's, I can't wait to be in, these, in this car for 12 hours because of all the things we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, something as simple as stopping at a gas station and going in and, you know, trying a, a cookie off the counter that the local lady, you know, right. baked herself the day before, you know. I'll need, they sell this in this area, or check out this, you know, local soda or whatever. So it's really an extension of, like, the on the road, the Kerouac, the, you know, the, the Lewis and Clark, all that, just exploring, it's, but it's also exploring in style. Yeah, and it's, it certainly doesn't hurt when the car that you're driving or the truck or SUV or whatever it is is, is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing about the, you know, when you talk about a love of automobiles, pick my favorite it's going to be really difficult, but I can tell you like a classic American muscle car is, is in my blood because probably my age and, and the cars that I grew up seeing, you know, around me, I appeal a 69, you know, Chevrolet Camaro is, that doesn't get a whole lot better. But then again, I'm a truck guy. So, you know, Ford F-150 is just as appealing to me. And then my wife drives an SUV and so I can find some love there too. It's almost like kind of like you're talking about getting out on the road and exploring. The automotive world is something you can explore as well. Ten mile stretch on the Indiana road when a sky blue Jaguar and a Thunderbird fold. Jaguar sitting on 99. 
trying to beat the bird to the county line. Just a half a mile from Newtonville, had a speed sign setting at the top of the hill. Said 35 miles and stay in line, but the Jaguar and Thunderbird never made the sign. Slow down, little Jaguar, keep cool, little Thunderbird. I would imagine that uh, there's a certain amount of characters that are in the car world. <laughs> A certain amount, they're all characters, <laughs> right? Um, as we've gone out and and you know explored, you know through the the museum and the show, um, every day you meet somebody new, and then that person knows somebody, and so our network in a very short period of time of getting out and doing what we're doing has grown to a point, and I'm not going to say this with any kind of like inflated ego or big head, but it's almost to a point where we can't handle it because there is so many characters out there mm-hmm. and so many stories to hear. This one just happened this week, actually. We'd gone to visit a, a local business in the area over in Mount Vernon, uh, Indiana. They run a RV dealership, and they still sell classic cars, but it's an old car dealership. And it had been through several different identities, um, some Brands that aren't made anymore, you know, Studebaker and Essex. Uh, it was a Chevy dealership, and now, like I said, they they sell um, classic cars just a couple at a time, and then but it's an RV dealership. But it still had the identity of its old dealership back. I don't know how long ago it would have really been before they stopped doing this, but there used to be showrooms on the second floor. So you would bring people into the showroom uh, downstairs. There might be a car there, greet them, but then take them upstairs, and inside there'd be more cars on display. It was a really neat setup, and they still had that. And the gentleman brought us in. He had his, you know, line up there. And, but in the back, there was a, a Model A. And it was a 1929. And it was really neat to see something he had tucked away that he was just like, oh, he goes, that old car, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's all right. But it was 1929, really, you say? Yeah. And it, but it was really neat. It was a really neat car. Uh, it had been restored to its original state. So it wasn't, you know. Was it kind of like a roadster? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think that's the term he used. I apologize, I didn't bring that up, but it that's right. had a nice little hood ornament, which is you know that's that's something that's gone away. Uh-huh. It's like the the really cool hood ornaments. Yeah, you won't see that, that on a Focus. <laughs> yeah, that used to be that used to be an identity symbol, like wheels and and you know lights and paint jobs are now. Um, people used to spend a lot of money on those hood ornaments. And anyway, long story short, he's telling me about the car, and then he goes, "Did you see that gas pump downstairs?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "That belonged to my grandfather." I was like, "Oh, that's neat." He goes, "But here he goes. Here's the deal." He goes, he used to have a gas station, service station over in Henderson. Now, get a little off topic. Service stations used to be a big deal. Now, we talk, I talked about being out at a gas station, stopping in and trying the cookie or the mm-hmm. soda that's local. Well, it used to be a whole experience when you'd stop at the service station. The gentleman would come out in a bow tie hat. Mm-hmm. So I pictured this grandfather being that kind of guy, pumping fuel in a car like this car that's sitting here. And he said that gas pump was at his service station, and he pumped gas out of it till the day he died. Like, this man worked until he, you know, he was a man that worked his business, loved his business, owned a service station until, I think he said, the 70s. This was a gas pump that wasn't mechanically operated with the rotary dials and the digital and the credit card machine we see today. The pumps of the bygone era uh, were totally different. And so it's... How do they measure the gas? Well, essentially, gas didn't used to be regulated like it is today. You know, we put gas into a car without ever seeing what it looks like, right? I mean, I don't even know the color. I mean, I know it's orangish, clear, you know, whatever. It used to be that it wasn't regulated, so um, you never knew what you're putting into your car unless you could see it. So they had these, what they were called, visible uh, gas pumps. And so it'd be a big piece of metal. You would crank out of the tank the gas up into a visible glass globe essentially and i don't want to use the word globe because the globe actually went on top as a means of advertising but this cylinder had little ticks that would be one gallon two gallon three gallon and there's two different types of these they would have either the more common was 10 gallon but then there was a five gallon version 
that's uh, a little more rare nowadays because you think about it going back to that era they didn't drive hundreds of miles i mean you, you know you might only drive two or three miles you know a day even if then that might be an extreme so they didn't need a ton of gas and these vehicles weren't you know six cylinder 400 horsepower kind mm-hmm. of things you know um they were a cylinder you know but now you know maybe 20 or 30 or 40 horses so get they were more fuel efficient so five gallons was a lot of gas mm-hmm. anyway this gentleman pumped gas for 50 something years out of this pump that's mm-hmm. in the old dealership which would have sold cars that he would have pumped gas into just to think about that it really was mind-blowing that is a story that if i hadn't gone down to explore this old dealership because i they took the time to restore it instead of knocking it down and putting a new building there. And then if he would have taken the time to make sure he had his grandfather's pump that his grandfather made sure to keep and take care of for all those years, I wouldn't know that story and I wouldn't be able to share it with you. And that's right here in our in our little neck of the woods, you know, right here in the tri-state. And so when you talk about the characters that are out there, I mean, how many of those kind of stories exist with all the millions of people that we have mm-hmm. you know in the just in the united states i mean how many millions of people are just you know in the tri-state that we could go out and potentially talk to i mean i know there's a there's a lot of stuff out there if we just go see it right. and that's that's why going back to what i was telling you earlier about you know getting out on the road i made it a point a couple of years ago um, i'm a parent i've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and when you have kids what, what happens a lot is you focus on the kids and you stop focusing on yourself and actually went through a time frame where I wasn't super happy with life in general just because I stopped taking care of me, mm-hmm. which sounds super selfish, but I do encourage people to make sure you give yourself something. I started going to a movie, you know, like every now and then just by myself, you know, because if my wife didn't want to see that crazy action movie and I did, well, I'm still <laughs> going to go see it, you know. Right. Uh, but but another thing I've always, I enjoy doing, you know, as a young man and through college and before I got married was going on little road trips and like, you know, in the state of Kentucky, in the state of Indiana, there are beautiful state parks and awesome, you know, downtowns with really cool courthouses and amazing little antique shops and diners. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at least once a month, I go out and, and do one of these little adventures on my own. Just your wife is cool with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, she understands. Yeah, and we have a great relationship. Don't get me wrong. We we always make time for the family. We vacation and go on these little adventures as a family more than we used to as well. Now that the kids are older, but. Going out and just seeing what's out there, I think, is, is something that has brought real great joy to my life. And the exploration of our own little backyard, it's important. You know, it really is. And, like, we have all these things that we're, we've been given as gifts, if you think about it, that we take for granted. Hey, thank you for your time, man. My pleasure. Swing, Why swing, don't you swing, swing down, sweet chariot stopping? Let me ride. Swing down, chariot stopping. Let me ride. Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord, calm and easy. I got home on the other side. Why don't you swing? If you'd like to visit the Dream Car Museum or just have a look at their video series, simply go to www.dreamcarmuseum.com for more information. And if you dig both cars and history, you might check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, episode 46, where Tennessee State Representative Mike Sparks shares his own stories as an automotive wheeler dealer, many of his ventures entertainingly terrible. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Spun Counter Guy.
you can send us an email via spuncalendarguy at hotmail.com. The podcast is also hosted on iTunes and podbean.com. Peace and kicking grease. Rock me on, rock me on, how many is it? I got a home.